Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I love missions. And missions starts uh, sometimes right here. And it sometimes starts right when we walk out that door. And Steph and I were at a restaurant yesterday. We asked our waitress if we could pray for her. And she immediately began to share that her son had gone through cancer and that he was bitter at God. And she almost began to break down and cry right on the spot. And of course, we about broke down and cried right on the, just about cried on the spot. I mean, it's amazing, folks, when we begin to just ask how people are and if we can pray for them and share with them uh, a little bit of life, a little bit of hope where people are. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't worship the gospel. Can we just say that? I'm, I'm hearing all this stuff about gospel project and all that kind of thing, and I get it. I understand. We all need to be about the gospel. The gospel is the good news, and we're all called into the ministry of reconciliation, right? We understand that, right? That's not just a professional staff seminary preacher kind of moment. That means you. <laughs> Can I just say that? That means when you leave here, guess what? You have the opportunity to be used of the Lord as you yield to Christ in order to be a proclaimer of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all of us have been called into the ministry of reconciliation. All of us have been commanded by Christ to make disciples. That's unequivocal. That goes without say. And folks, we need, we need revival because I think sometimes we forget this. I think political correctness has so sabotaged the message of the gospel in our day. We're scared to death about what people think if we start telling them about Jesus. And they're desperate to hear about Jesus. They need the hope. They need the certainty. They need the assurance. They need the life-changing grace of God himself in their lives in order to face life with the understanding that one day they will be in heaven with the Lord forever. Folks, we need that. That's absolutely essential. <laughs> I kind of get the feeling this morning that some of y'all are tired. Am I, am I missing that? No, you're not tired. God bless you. May your tribe increase. <laughs> Is anybody else, you're all tired? I, we've, we've had a couple weeks ago, I want to tell you, that fall festival Listen, you, you don't even understand the impact in the community. I had so many parents. Jonathan and I were loading our Nerf guns again, man. We were just watching these kids knock down water bottles. It's beautiful. We could have NRA registration on the spot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's hilarious. Some of these kids, man, this one little dude, I had to put him up on the tailgate, and uh, he, was, he came up to my knee. He was six for six. He had six shots. He had six. I mean, dude, don't mess with that little dude. You know what I'm saying? His dad had a grin from ear to ear. It was awesome. But I had so many parents just share, uh, thank you for the ministry this is to our family, for the ministry this is, and because it's a safe environment. And uh, there's a lot of things going on out there that parents are really concerned. Um, we worship the Lord. We don't celebrate Halloween. That's trash. What we do is we celebrate the Lord, but we want to be light in the midst of a very dark culture. Amen? And I think that's the issue here. And so many of these people thanked us, and there were people uh, obviously didn't know the Lord, and so Lord willing, we're going to be able to follow up with them. 
But that happened a couple weeks ago. Thank you for all the candy and for all those of you who participated in this. It was a great time. And thank you for the military ministry. I, I tell you, that is such a wonderful event. I thank God for that. General Boykin did such a great job of just expressing the sovereignty of God in the midst of even uh, war and, and the things that he's been through. It was so encouraging and challenging at the same time. And for all of you who participated and, and uh, helped out with this to be in prayer for this, we want to thank you for that because it really is a community impact moment. General Boykin said this, and I think this was worth noting. He said that was the best Veterans Day celebration that he's ever been a part of. And I thank God for that. You know, that's pretty cool. So if you're tired, I get it, but wake up. Let's go. <laughs> get some coffee. Get a K-cup or something. Get a K-cup in your K-group and listen to missions. We'll do good. The third woe. We're going to look at this in uh, Revelation. And you know what? I'm going to really watch my time. I'm sorry. A couple times I've gotten a little excited and held you a bit long, but I'm going to make sure we get to our missions uh, moments here. You want to hear these stories, folks. It's amazing what God's doing all over the world. And whether it's in Israel, whether it's in Myanmar, whether it's in Thailand, uh, all over the world, uh, God is at work. And it's neat how God is using our body of believers to impact these ministry areas. And uh, I know John is glad to be home, but boy, what a trip he's had as he's visited so many of our partners. You know, one of the sad things that he told me, and I, I just grieve about this, but this was for some of our missions partners and some of the people that he got to meet, this was the first time in something like 15, some even longer, 20 years, that a church had sent somebody to them to come alongside of them to listen, to hear, to ask questions of how we can serve, how we can be of assistance, how we can partner. And I, I find that devastating. We're not just writing checks, folks. Write the checks. That's good. We want to support. But we also need to be in prayer. We also need to come alongside. We also need to go and serve, and we need to encourage. There's a ministry of presence in the midst of this that is very, very essential. And I want to thank you for the way that you give. I want to thank you for how you pour yourself into missions ministry right here in our own community, as well as throughout the world, and how you give towards those things. We've got some great, great partners I saw John Hill earlier, and I'm not sure where he is. I don't know if he's in here or if he's going to be uh, up in one of the classrooms. But John is part of Steelbridge Ministries here in, uh, in uh, Albuquerque and just a dear friend, brother in Christ, and the ministry that they have. Well, we support them, and I think that's important. Uh, we have things all over this world, including starting right here in Albuquerque. And, folks, we need to be about the, the Lord's business we need to be about following the Lord and walking with him by grace and walking with him in faith as to what God is doing and how God wants to use us, not only corporately, but individually. And we're all called into the Great Commission. And so let's really uh, prayerfully consider what is it that God has for us? What is it that the Lord is leading us into? How does the Lord want us to participate, uh, not only individually, but as a body, in making sure that the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is being proclaimed throughout our land and throughout this world because it is desperately needed. It is desperately needed. When we look at Revelation 15, we're getting a glimpse here of heaven. How many of you have thought about heaven? 
Yeah, yeah. If you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. You thought about heaven. <laughs> Heaven's going to be an amazing place, isn't it? I uh, was down in Florida years ago, and, and Wycliffe had opened up their uh, national headquarters just outside of Orlando, and we got to go and take a tour of their uh, place there, and they had a video that I'll never forget because it was a video about uh, the, all the different uh, multitudes of people that are going to be in heaven from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And just that thought has stuck with me over the years, and being born in Africa, being born on the mission field, uh, my birth certificate is African, so I am an African-American. My, my older sister uh, is African. She's from Nigeria. And then my mom was from Switzerland, and my brother was born there. So we have uh, a multinational family. You know, it's kind of fun. But when you begin to realize uh, how essential the gospel and how God is at work all over, and you see how heaven is going to be a bringing together the people of God from every tribe and every nation. Think about that. Now, some of you Baptists, that scares y'all. Because you're worried about all the dancing that's going to go on up there. Am I right? Man, you got a hard time when the song says, raise your hands. You do that. <laughs> and I do too a little bit. <laughs> But you know what? Heaven's going to be an amazing time of celebration, of worship. We're, yeah, well, Dallas, I don't know if they're going to be there or not, but amen. <laughs> at, least they, uh, at least they don't take a knee, amen? But in the midst of it all, when we talk about heaven, we're talking about just an amazing time of worshiping the Lamb. And in chapter 15, we get a glimpse of this. The middle of the tribulation, we've gotten certain things that are taking place throughout. Chapter 12 is the vision of the woman, Israel, the child, Christ, the dragon, Satan. Or chapter 13 is about the beasts, the antichrist, and the false prophet. Chapter 14 has a look forward to the victory of uh, the lamb and the 144,000 on Mount Zion. And there's, there's all kinds of pictures being given here. It's not necessarily chronological. It's snapshotting what's going on in the midst of the seven-year period of time. And it's really focused in on the middle of the tribulation. And the reason I say that is because the seventh trumpet hasn't sounded yet. The seventh trumpet is the third woe. And when the seventh trumpet sounds, we have the bowls being poured out on the earth. And the bowls are the last of the wrath of God. In Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, we have the seventh angel sounding. And then we get into 12 through 14 where you have the snapshots. These pictures are taking place. It says this in verse 15 of chapter 11. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying... The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. 
Folks, the judgment of God, the wrath of God is, is about to be unleashed in a way that is, in effect, progressive. When we have the seals and then we have the trumpets and the seventh trumpet being the seven bowls, there is a progressive increasing of intensity with regard to the judgments of God. And all along, the gospel has been proclaimed. Not everybody receives it. In fact, it makes it very clear that some refuse to believe, refuse to repent, refuse to change their mind concerning their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 15, which is eight verses, we see three things, and the first is a great sign, a great sign. John records this. He says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. The seven plagues, or as they're called, and we'll look at this in just a moment, the seven bowls are the last of the wrath of God to be poured out on the earth and humanity. And it takes place, I believe, during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That word plague means to strike or to cause a blow to take place. In other words, it's a plague sent as a strike or a blow by God in order to judge. Think about that. God is allowing these bowls to be poured out because he is causing this judgment to happen. Why? Because of rebellion. The whole purpose of the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation period time, is to bring an end to rebellion, to bring an end to sin, and to draw Israel back to himself. And so these plagues are sent by God as specific judgments because of sin and rebellion on this earth. And God uses it masterfully because he's sovereign God in order to bring his own purposes out of these things including Israel coming back to himself. Spiros simply says it this way, a plague meaning a stroke or blow inflicted by God, a calamity. Think about that. Wrath is finished. It says because in them the wrath of God is finished. Wrath is finished and it indicates once again that all the seals are wrath. All of it is God's wrath. It's been increasing in intensity. The seven seals have been opened, and when the seventh seal is opened, then you have the seven trumpets that begin to sound forth. And when the seventh trumpet begins to be sounded, the third woe begins to take place, and the bowls begin to be poured out as the wrath of God is now coming to its completion as God begins to rule and reign as the kingdom of earth now becomes fully in his grasp because he deals with the Antichrist, he deals with the false prophet, he deals with Satan himself. Wrath is an interesting word because there's two different words for wrath. This particular word has the idea, uh, in my mind, of like a lightning strike. Have you ever gone golfing when there's a thunderstorm, potentially? Right? You're holding those metal. Now, some of you use graphite because you're older and you need that extra, you know. <laughs> but the steel is what you really need, right? Come on, you all can laugh about that. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> Most of you may not play golf. I don't know. I was down in Florida 
and the lightning down there can get pretty, pretty tough. And there was an older gentleman from the church, Raymond, dear, dear guy. And he lived on the golf course, and, and he always would get the newest clubs. He loved uh, Big Bertha, and he loved all these new clubs. And so he would take me golfing. I was a student pastor down there at the time, and he would take me golfing because he liked to watch me hit his club. Because <laughs> I, I could hit it. It was fun, you know. And, and we didn't know where it was going, but it sounded great, you know. And uh, so we were on a green, and we could hear rumbling of thunder in the distance. And we kind of looked at each other, and we thought, well, it's still pretty far away, and it shouldn't be a big deal. And so we had both gotten on the green, hit great par three, hit great shots. Here we are up on the green, surrounded by all this peaceful, wonderful landscape, uh, water and sand, and we had avoided it, and no alligators to worry about and all this kind of stuff. And we get up on the green, and uh, I lean over my putt. We had taken the flag out. Raymond was holding the flag, and I was literally about to putt. And I don't know if you've ever had something like this. I don't know how close this lightning strike was. But it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And it wasn't just the lightning strike, because you could feel it. It was kind of like a zip. I don't know how to explain it if you've never actually had it. You could literally feel the intensity of the strike that took place. And it wasn't like you were sitting there counting to see how close this storm actually was. It was an immediate boom. I mean, just, I don't know, man. I had to check everything to make sure we were <laughs> copacetic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Raymond and I looked at each other. We looked at each other, we grabbed our golfs, we, we got into his cart, and within a, about a minute, it was just a deluge of rain. When we talk about God's wrath, what we're talking about is twofold. Number one, there's this constant state of anger towards sin. Folks, he hates sin. He hates sin. There, there's never a moment where God looks at sin and excuses it. There's never a moment where God looks at sin or somehow tries to, to diminish the impact of sin. He's a holy God. He, he's constantly angry about sin. His son went to the cross and was killed brutally. Because of sin. And in the midst of that anger, in the midst of that storm, if you want to think of it, once in a while we see a lightning strike. Once in a while, God just unleashes. And we get to see the impact of his anger concerning sin. See, the, the word that's used here, the wrath of God is finished. The idea is now it's not just the overall constant state of anger towards sin. Here the idea is these are lightning bolts. These bowls are about to be poured out. And it is God's anger that is intentional and specific. And it is devastating to this earth. Because his wrath is now going to be seen very clearly, intentionally, purposefully, because he's had it with rebellion and with sin. The wrath of God is finished. 
When we talk about the wrath of God, what we're seeing in Revelation is the fullness of God's wrath poured out upon unbelieving humanity. We're seeing God allow Satan and this Antichrist and this false prophet bring together a one-world government, an economic system where in order to participate in it, you have to have the number of the beast either on your uh, hand or on your forehead where the worship, the false worship of the Antichrist takes place, where they're allowed to do miracles and all kinds of things in order to deceive people because people refuse to repent of their sin. They refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us at the cross. They refuse to believe in the Lamb of God and receive salvation from him. And they would rather believe in something false and God's wrath in its fullest, most devastating impact begins to be poured out on this earth. The seven angels are given these seven bowls to pour out. And actually, we begin to see that take place in the next chapter. Well, not only is there a great sign, but in verse 2, there's the bondservants of the Lord. And John goes on, and I always love how the Lord orchestrates the pouring out of his wrath, the dealing with sin, but he also gives the picture of heaven and the celebration and the salvation that takes place in the lives of so many. Verse 2, he says, I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. In chapter 4, we got a picture of the sea of glass depicting the holiness of God. And here, the sea of glass is mixed with fire depicting the wrath and the judgment of God. The fact that the saved ones from the tribulation are standing on this may infer that the glass is the word of God which helps sustain and support those who trust in the Lord in the midst of all these difficult circumstances that they were faithful to walk with God through. The playing of the harps, or the technical term is the lyre, is an indication of those who have been faithful to the Lord and they're now worshiping him in heaven. What a beautiful picture. Here they are standing on the sea of glass mixed with fire and the judgment of God and the wrath of God and the justice of God is going to be poured out on the earth because these individuals have paid uh, for their salvation in many ways with their lives. They stayed faithful. They remained true. They didn't receive the mark of the beast. They were victorious over the one world system. They kept trusting in the Lord no matter what the circumstance, even when it led to their death. They had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they were willing to walk with them faithfully in the midst of all these difficult things. And here they are worshiping the Lord in the midst of heaven. In the midst of it, they're given victory. They're stated that they have had victory over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding. What a beautiful image of this picture of God's faithfulness. Even in our day, we're not facing the beast at this point. We're not facing it. What, what is it that we're going through that we need to stand on the promises of God and stand on the word of God and trust God in the midst of it? Understanding that the Lord is sovereign, that he's absolutely in control, and that he is our victory. And we can trust him to walk with us in the midst of it. 
In verse 3, they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. What are they singing? The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. These are songs of deliverance. They're songs of how God has rescued. They're songs of salvation that has been provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Song of Moses, it could be two different things. Back in Exodus chapter 15, verses 13 and then verses 17 through 18, I won't read the whole passage to you. Moses uh, wrote a song about the deliverance that God provided for Israel from Egypt. And in verse 13 of Exodus 15, he says, In your loving kindness you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength you have guided them to your holy habitation. Or later in verses 17 through 18, where Moses sings, You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Songs of deliverance, of rescue. It could be that this is in Revelation, speaking of Deuteronomy 32, where at the end of Moses' time, he writes a song and he gives a history of what God had done in the nation of Israel and he reminds them of God's faithfulness to them. And in verse 43 of Deuteronomy 32, he says, Rejoice, O nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on all his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Songs of deliverance of God's faithfulness. The song of the Lamb may be what was recorded earlier in Revelation 5.9 where he says this, They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. Again, deliverance, salvation. They're standing on the sea of glass mixed with fire, indicating the judgment that is about to take place in the third woe, the seventh trumpet, the seven bowls that are about to be poured out, the seven plagues. God is bringing things to a close, so much so that the future is already being looked at as having been completed. And in the midst of this, they're praising God for deliverance. They're praising God and thanking him for his greatness and his faithfulness. Psalm chapter 86, verses 8 through 10, may be what is in mind with regard to the testimony of the greatness of God. And in Psalm 86, verse 8, he says, There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. That's beautiful, isn't it? Folks, you realize we have the opportunity to sing in that. You realize that God has created us as new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're qualitatively brand new. When Christ comes to live within us, we have a new heart. We have a new spirit. God comes to live within our spirit. And we get the mind of Christ. We begin to think the thoughts of God. And our minds have the opportunity of being renewed by the word of God. And we get to walk with him and declare his greatness and his holiness and his goodness and how he's faithful and how he can save. That's what this is all about. 
What a beautiful truth. Well, in verse 5, we have these seven bowls that are depicted. And I can't help but look at the formality, the grandeur, the seriousness of this moment. You think about what John is seeing, and he, he does his best through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write down what he's watching. And it says this, after these things I looked in the temple, the tabernacle of testimony, that's the temple in heaven, was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. And then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Boy, what a, what a grand, powerful, incredibly inspiring moment with regard to the holiness and the sovereignty of God. The seven angels begin to come out, and they are given by one of the living creatures, the seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. The righteousness of God is seen here. They are dressed in white, it says clean and bright. The righteousness of God is indicated there, and it is that is God's justice. He is just in doing what he is about to do because he's bringing an end to sin. He's bringing an end to rebellion. The temple is then filled with the Shekinah glory of God and is now unapproachable. Just again a reminder of the holiness of God. You know, I've never forgotten Spiro Zodiades. Met with him for, my goodness, six and a half years. Studied with him uh, scripture, sometimes up to three times a week. And I'll never forget him saying something to me. Abraham was called a friend of God. You remember that? Remember that? Abraham believed and it was credited to him. It was considered righteousness. Belief, no matter what age in human history, has always been required for salvation. To believe, to be persuaded. Whether you're looking forward to the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus himself, whether we today look back to what he did for us at the cross and how he rose again and we have the privilege of receiving the Holy Spirit when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. But in the midst of it, I'll never forget talking with Spiros about these things and talking with him about the glory of the Lord and talking about the grandeur and the holiness, the goodness, the righteousness of God. When we talk about all of these things, when we say that God is our friend, he, he said something that I've never forgotten. He said, Abraham never said, I am a friend of God's. He let God call him his friend. Now think with me on that for a second. Is God our friend? Well, yeah, I believe that's correct. I think biblically we can point to that. But I think it would be wise because of the greatness and the holiness and the sovereignty of our Lord to let him call us a friend. See, when we talk about the Shekinah glory of God, we talk about the power. It's hard for us to even imagine. It's hard for us to even put it into words because it's not just what we see or what we think. 
there's that feeling of awe and there's that recognition of God's vastness in the midst of all this, that he's in control. And we sometimes walk through the day, and I'll be the first to admit that I'm guilty of it as well, and we forget that God is absolutely in charge. We get all kinds of wrapped up stuff going through our heads, and we forget that the Lord is the one who is sovereign over it all. He may not have caused it, but he certainly allowed it, and he's absolutely promised to bring good out of it for those who love him. See, in the midst of this, we've got God being presented here in a way for us to remind us of his greatness, of his goodness, that he hates sin, that he will deal with it. And we have this wonderful privilege of relating to him and being part of his family because of the cross, because of the gospel, the good news. Praise God for that. When we talk about God's grandeur, when we talk about his holiness, Christ is now pouring out his wrath in a just way upon this earth. In Revelation 19, 15, he says, From his mouth, speaking of Christ, comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the, winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Wow. Do, do we remember who we serve sometimes? We all got to be reminded of it, don't we? Don't we need to have our eyes lifted up to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ because sometimes we get weary in doing good and we get consumed with the things of this world and we need to be reminded that God is he's so far superior to all this. It's not difficult for him at all. But do we trust him? Do we walk with him? See, they were singing a song. They were singing a song to praise the Lord for redemption. They were singing a song with regard to God's faithfulness and what God had done in order to rescue them. Let me ask you something this morning. What's your song? What's your story? Because you've got one. And how essential is it to be reminded of what Christ has done for us? Sometimes we do need to remember. Sometimes we need to look back and think about how God came and met with us and rescued us and brought us to himself so that today we can sing a new song and praise God and be reminded of the greatness of God, that he hates sin, but he rescued us out of it. Folks, what's your song? What's your story? How are you sharing it as the Lord leads? How are you yielded to Christ and walking with him in such a way that people see something different about each and every one of us? And at times, they're willing to come to us and say, what's this hope that you've got in your life? Because I need it. And sometimes the Lord puts it on our hearts to go to that person to talk to them because we recognize that they need the Lord and we need to just be vessels through which the life of the Lord Jesus Christ is being poured out so that we can then share the goodness and the greatness, the faithfulness of our Lord who is able to save. Can I ask you something honestly? You don't have to raise your hand. When is the last time that you verbally shared the full gospel with somebody. When's the last time? When's the last time you had the privilege of praying in the morning and saying, Lord, would you allow me the privilege of sharing the gospel with somebody today? And when that opportunity arises, Lord, would you give me the boldness, the courage, 
to share your word and the truth of the word and the truth of who you are with that individual. When's the last time that took place in your life? When's the last time you sensed the Holy Spirit directing you and you got very uncomfortable? Suddenly you may have even broken into a sweat. I'm an introvert, folks. I don't go start conversations, generally speaking. But there's times where the Lord says, go do that, and I'll give you the grace. I'll even give you the words. Folks, how as a people, we talk about missions, it starts right here. How are we saying yes to the Lord? How are we walking with him and responding faithfully, obediently, full of grace with our hearts to the Lord to say, Lord, would you give me the opportunity today to share the gospel with somebody? And would you be recognized in and through me in that process? Folks, how are we following God? How are we walking with him? There's people all over that are hurting, that are desperate. The wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. And the question is, how today are we being used by the Lord to share with people the great news of the Lord Jesus Christ that when they're saved, they don't have to, they're no longer children of wrath. They're no longer children of wrath. They've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And they can experience God's presence and peace, not only now, but forever, forever. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 